0: Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller.
1: And I'm Benjamin Solar
0: So, because this interview is the second part of a two-parter to the book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, written by Jim Detmer, Diana Chapman, and Kaylee Werner-Klemp, we're going to jump in pretty quickly.
1: Right. Go check out the first episode. It's in the feed. The first episode is with Jim Detmer. We give a little bit more context about some of the key concepts. So go check out that episode first.
0: Yeah. And in this episode, our guest is Diana Chapman, the other co-author of the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And with Jim Detmer, she's also the co-founder of the Conscious Leadership Group, where they bring a radical new leadership model to the organizational world. They want to help put out into the world more leaders who are powered by radical responsibility, curiosity, authenticity, and integrity.
1: So so let's talk about the interview. What's one thing we should listen out for with your talk with Diana?
0: Well, with Diana, I had a chance to discuss one of the most important of the 15 commitments, and that is taking radical responsibility. Because this commitment is the foundation to all of the following ones, and also learning how to do that will help you wring the drama out of your life.
1: Cool. So radical responsibility. Should we just jump right into the interview?
0: Yeah, let's do it. And after my talk with Diana, we'll catch you in the bookend where we're going to recap and add some context. And as always, share some book suggestions related to the topic with you.
1: Cool. Let's hear it.
0: Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my
2: pleasure to be here with you.
0: Diana, before we start talking about some of, of the concepts from your book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, I wondered, could
2: you introduce yourself the way that you like to be introduced? Sure. What I would say is I am someone who is passionate about helping people, both as individuals and as teams and as organizations, learn how to eliminate drama in their lives.
0: Mm-hmm. How did you actually, how did you find that that was what your passion was and how did you transition
2: into helping people with it? My my brother-in-law was the CEO of a major corporation in the United States and he was very interested in personal development and he gifted me $5,000 over 20 years ago and said, you can do whatever you want with this money, but if I were you, I would go work with who I think are some of the finest coaches in the world, Gay and Kathleen Hendricks, mm-hmm. and so... In my deep curiosity, I traveled out to California and studied with them, and was really shocked that I didn't have this information sooner. It seemed <laughs> fundamental to the well-being of myself and others, and so I studied with them for ten years. Wow! Um, just immersed myself in this and made it my passion to spread this as far as and as wide as I could for the rest of my life. <sighs> That is really cool. This is probably far too big a question to start with, but what was the thing that really hit you over the head? I think it was this concept of taking radical responsibility for my experience and for what was being created around me and for understanding all the ways that I wasn't doing that that was causing drama in my life. Can you say more about that? What, What does it mean to take radical responsibility? So... I learned this wonderful model that Gay and Katie passed along called Cartman's Drama Triangle. And the concept is that most of us learned how to do relationship from a state of victimhood mm. and that there are three different flavors of victimhood. There's the true victim and, you know, it's hard and I'm trying and I can't. And, uh, and there's this sense of, I can't. I can't have what I want. And then the other role in the Drama Triangle is the hero, And the hero's job is to take responsibility in a way in which the payoff is temporary. So we temporarily relieve ourselves a lot and we relieve others. And then the other role in the drama triangle is the villain. And the villain's job is to blame. Blame myself, Mm. blame others, blame them, you know, who they are. They're screwing it up for the rest of us. Um, And so my experience is that most of us run around in this drama triangle most of the time. Uh And... So I saw how much I was doing that and learned new ways to take radical responsibility, which is I'm going to take 100% responsibility for my experience and for the results that I'm creating in my life for which I have control. How do I know which events I have control over and which ones I don't? <laughs> Good. That's a great one. Uh <laughs> So for example, if I'm in business, I don't have control actually of whether people are going to buy my product. What I do have control over is how I plan to market it, the different qualities about that product that I can control. And so I learn what can I control and what can't I? And that relaxes me. I don't get to control how you're going to feel when I tell you something honest, but I do get to control being authentic and revealing to you. Hmm
0: hmm That makes sense. You know, maybe we should just you and I know what heroing means, because it's in, in the book. But could you just give like, a, a definition to what heroing might look like in practice?
2: Yeah, so there's a way I can self-hero. I just spent 15 hours at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> night after night, I come home, I hero myself with, "I'm so burnt out, I've got to get some temporary relief so I might use food alcohol, mm. binge watching, even exercise or cleaning I can do. I do something to give myself a little bit of a rest to address mm. the the tension, the contraction inside of myself. That's been the result of heroing. So that's one way I see a lot of leaders self-hero. Another way they hero one another is a lot of them are really afraid to have each other be uncomfortable, Mm. especially emotionally. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to tell you that I'm disappointed in the performance that you're providing because I don't want to upset you. So lack of candor is a big part Mm. Mm -hmm. of how we hero one another. Another way is we listen to each other's gossip. So you come to me and you say, they were so unorganized in that meeting. And I sit and I listen to it and I give them some Mm -hmm. temporary relief because they get to blow off steam and they feel better after they talk to me, but they're not actually going to go take responsibility around having more effective meetings.
0: Mm. But seen from a different angle, can't that also be spun as, you know, providing a safe place for someone
2: to share their thoughts? Sure. We can have that conversation from two places. And we, as you know, if you've read our book, we use this very simple model called the line. Mm -hmm. So from below the line, we're in a threatened state in this drama triangle talking about the issue, which means usually we're blaming somebody else. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to find temporary solutions to the issue, sometimes just by talking about it through gossip. Versus from the above the line, I might say, Can you tell me how you co created that meeting being as unorganized as it is? Mm -hmm. Did you give feedback the last time the meeting was unorganized? You know, what are you doing or not doing that's creating that result? Mm -hmm. And they say, Well, it's not my meeting, it's their meeting. (laughs) And I say, Already, you're not taking 100% responsibility for the meeting, it's our meeting. Anybody who's involved, is 100% responsible for the success of the meeting. And a lot of people spend a lot of time divvying up who's more and less responsible for the results of Mm -hmm. whatever's going on around us.
0: Mm -hmm. How do you help leaders move from a state of unresponsibility, irresponsibility, there we go, that's the word, to to radical responsibility, because that sounds like a pretty scary thing to do, especially for someone who, say, is a more seasoned leader who believes they are responsible.
2: Yeah. So we, first of all, we have them take a look at, can you see that you're not taking 100% responsibility? And my experience is most everybody can see that. They can see that they're either taking more than their 100% or less than their 100%. And then we help them understand that the reason they're doing that is because they're scared. Mm. I'm scared that if I don't stay here long hours and work extra hard that we won't make our numbers and we won't stay in business and people will think, you know, badly of me. I'm just scared. So we help leaders learn to be with that scared part of themselves and then we see if they'd be willing to shift back into taking just their 100%. And you know, about 80% of the time the answer is no. No, mm. I'm too scared. And that's okay. But now they're aware. Now they're aware that mm-hmm. they're not taking radical responsibility and they're aware of the costs of that both to themselves and to others.
0: Mhm. That makes me think of in the book You urge people to take a look at what the opposite of their story is. Could you talk about about the utility of that a little bit, looking at the opposite of a story?
2: Yeah. So, you know, somebody might come in and say, oh, I'm right that that colleague is incompetent. And when the mind wants to be right, then it's going to not be available for what it would take to be 100% responsible for changing the results, because we'd just rather be right than learn and grow. So... The Mm. idea is is that you've got to challenge the mind to let go of being right. So commitment 10 of the 15 commitments is, are you willing to see that the opposite of your story could be at least as true? So I'm gonna give you a real example. I had somebody who uh, I was working with who was very upset that the CEO was not giving them the feedback Mm. and they wanted to be very right about that. So I had him take a look at... Let's look at the opposite of your story and see how it's at least as true. We're not suggesting that we're looking for something that's, you know, now you get to go be right on the other side that, oh, he's great. He gives plenty of feedback. We're not suggesting that. We're just suggesting, hey, okay, it could be true that he doesn't give you good feedback. It could also be true that he does. And then can we help the mind come to a place where they're both true and they're both not true? And then what do you get to learn? So, I had this man take a look at, give me examples of how he does give you feedback and for a moment, he found that difficult to do because he was so convinced he was right. But as I asked him just to look, he started to go, "Well, you know, he often does after we're together or after I led a team meeting or something, he gives me a brush by of some quick feedback that usually is pretty on point and helpful so I guess he does do that. It's just a different style than I'm used to, but I can see that. Mm -hmm. And I said, great, give me another example. And we, we want the mind to not just go find one example. We want it to find several examples so that you can anchor it to, okay, I can see how I'm not right. Now I still would like more feedback. Great. Okay. How could you go back now to your boss and from a place of taking 100% responsibility and from a place now of curiosity and not being right, seeing the opposite of your story, what's the conversation going to look like now so that you get your needs met? Mm. Um, and he said, thank you so much because I do see I would have gone to him from that you know, place of blame and wanting to be right. And, and he's like, actually, I'm not sure I do want any more feedback from him now.
0: Mm. I think
2: probably I'm getting as much as I want
0: mm mm-hmm. But So it sounds like by inspecting the opposite of whatever your story is, that is one way to get out of the drama triangle. How else do you help leaders get out of the drama
2: triangle? So it's one of the reasons why we wrote this book, because we had that question being asked of us, how else can we get out of the drama triangle? And we said, well, these 15 commitments are the way. So when somebody is stuck, we ask them questions like, Would you be willing to shift from your resentment to appreciation? Mm. Or would you be willing to see this person as an ally? Or would you be willing to feel all your feelings? So each of the commitments is a shift move out of the drama triangle. Mm.
0: Mm -hmm. Hey, it's me. Just a quick second to tell you that this episode is brought to you as ever by Blinkist. Link is just an app that gives you a sneak peek into a whole world of great nonfiction books like Diana's by identifying the key ideas and transforming them into powerful little capsules of text or audio that you can digest in just about 15 minutes. Now there are also shortcasts, and it's the same deal, but for amazing podcasts. The difference is that we work directly with the original hosts like Malcolm Gladwell and Dr. Lori Santos to pull out the most incredible, juicy insights, add a little bit of new context of a new hosting, and uh, give you something nutritious and delightful to listen to in 15 minutes or fewer as with most things it's better if you just try it out yourself so go to blinkist.com slash simplify click try blinkist in the top right hand corner and you can try it for 14 days for free by entering the code playful that's blinkist.com slash simplify use the code playful and you're good to go hope you love it and now back to my talk with diana actually you know could you talk a little bit about what a shift move is
2: and why is it important? Okay. So, a shift move is anything I do to shift myself out of this drama triangle consciousness. We call that living below the line in a state of threat and fear. So, anything you can do to shift yourself from that threatened state, that contracted state, that state of victimhood to a state of trust to above the line, to a place of curiosity. And so the shift move is what's something practical I can do. Mm -hmm. So looking at the opposite of my story is a shift move that can shift me from wanting to be right to being open and curious. So throughout the book, we give examples of different shift moves you can use to move yourself from one state to the other.
0: Okay. Do you have a favorite or does it really just depend on context?
2: Well, I think one of my favorite shift moves is play because when you're below the line in a threatened state, things feel really serious. Mm -hmm. And the more serious they get, the more contracted we all get. And the more contracted we get, the less we get to learn. And so it's one of my favorite chapters in the book is around helping people learn how to play with, especially with their reactivity. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I have a CEO client who can be a bit of a a bully with his team. He'd gotten that feedback, and he had sometimes a my way or the highway attitude that was starting to create a pattern where people weren't giving him feedback anymore mm. because they were afraid of being dismissed or ignored. So he realized that this was a pattern, and so he decided to give this part of himself a name. So he called himself the boss and he bought a construction hat and he had it in the conference room where they would all meet. And he asked his team, Uh if you start to see the boss come out in a way that's starting to feel like I'm bullying, would you let me know? And they made an agreement that they would. So they had a little sign. So when somebody would give him the sign, he'd go grab the hat, put it on, and he'd make the pattern bigger first. He'd exaggerate it till it was funny. You all know I'm the one in charge and everything is my <laughs> way. And he'd make it fun and funny and everybody would giggle until he could see the pattern himself. He'd take the hat off and he'd come back into a more open and curious place to be more collaborative with his team. Huh. And it worked. You know, he had to wear it fairly often in the beginning, but as he continued to play with the pattern, the pattern stopped playing him.
0: Mm, mm-hmm.
2: So... We find that our clients are willing to acknowledge personas, name them, and have some fun with them at work. They tell their colleagues, hey, here's a couple of my personas that get me in trouble. And that's becoming more and more popular as people mm-hmm. are being more willing to be vulnerable with one another.
0: That's that's definitely a key. I wonder if some of the power in that is is also getting the body involved.
2: Yes. Yeah, it is. Um I love another one of my favorite shift moves. It's a playful shift move with called rewind. And I particularly like to do it in my marriage. So let's say my husband comes home and he walks through the door and he yells, you know, it's hot in here and what's going on? Who hasn't raised the windows? And he's kind of just grumpy. So I just say, rewind, and he literally backs himself back out of the door physically and talks himself his (laughs) his language and goes, (laughs) and goes back outside, opens the door and goes, oh, honey, it's so good to see you. You know, it's a little warm in here. Let's open some windows. Mm.
0: You know, both of these examples that you've just shared with me uh, make me think that, it would be really difficult for some leaders to, or probably a lot of leaders, to introduce such playful modalities into their work life. How do you help people actually use these in their, in their day-to-day lives?
2: I'll give you a really practical example. There was a team who their CFO had to give the financial reports. Um, and most of them thought it was pretty boring. And so they thought, how could we play in a way? Well, the CFO had an Irish grandmother who had this very thick accent. So he decided he would start singing and speaking the financials with this thick Irish accent, and everybody loved it. And so it became this playful time in the meeting in which he was, in some ways, performing the numbers. And they all started to say that they looked forward to his time in the meeting so that they could have that that play it wasn't such a big deal anymore to have to sit through those numbers uh-huh nobody thought that was too weird or odd it was just it was fun and so things like having a ball in a meeting where we could toss the ball around when we're talking about ideas it's just a, a simple playful move that gets us up in our bodies and has us thinking more creatively so we try mm-hmm. to find things that are actionable at work that they'll do. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, any thoughts about
0: how we can more consistently bring our body intelligence into how we lead?
2: Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways. One is we have this shift move called whole body yes, which means as you're considering options, When you try different options on, do you have a whole body? Yes. And we have people start to get trained on what does that feel like in the body? So for example, in my body, a whole body. Yes. Feels like energy starts running up through my body rather than down. It feels warmer Mm. versus cooler. There's a vibratory difference in my body when I'm aligned with a whole body. Yes. And so it's a very physical experience it's instinctual and we're wanting to bring that instinctual wisdom back online for leaders so we spend a lot of time what do you feel in your body you know i remember many clients saying i i don't know if i feel anything i don't pay attention to that mm. so we're asking leaders to notice you know is there a pressure in your chest that might indicate that you're sad is there any heat Or tension up through your neck or your shoulders, your back, your jaw that might suggest you're angry. Um, Mm. The other thing we pay attention to is as people get more reactive to life, their bodies tend to get more contracted and they have less access to movement. Mm -hmm. And when we're born, we have access to thousands of movements. You know, if you watch children, they're just all over the place in their bodies. And they say that one of the things that we do if you're watching somebody in a distance walking down the street and you just can see a shadow of them, you'll base what you think their age is based on how much they're moving in their bodies, particularly in their hips. And so one of the things we do is have people start moving their bodies out in new ways that they haven't been moving them. And when they're reactive. In fact, I, I, I would challenge anybody. If you're really reactive about something, just start moving all of the joints in your body, your vertebra, your fingers, your toes, just start moving everything in an improvisational way. You can't stay reactive. Mm. It used to be how I would shift my patterns with my husband. We would argue about money you know we would just start <laughs> moving our bodies and you know probably from outside we looked silly but we just couldn't stay reactive and we found solutions to all of the you know the tensions between the two of us around spending and saving money
0: that is so interesting i guess every couple developed their own coping strategies and their own um their own toolkit around how to deal with uncomfortable conversations um this this book is about commitments of conscious leadership but so far you've shared two examples about your relationship and i talked with jim a little bit about relationships as well i just i think it's interesting how tied together the idea of leadership in a company or in, a, in an organization is and leadership of yourself and your own emotions and how you lead and interact in,
2: in an intimate relationship yeah
0: it's funny that they're so related
2: yeah well first of all we would just say we believe everybody's a leader it, based on our definition. And we define leader as anyone who wants to take responsibility for their results in the world. Mm-hmm. And that includes your home life, your community, your work. Um, we're leaders everywhere we go. and And everything that's going on is just relationship and conversations. All of life is just sets of conversations in my own head with myself, with each other. It's all relationship. So these tools that we have shared in the book, we actually first learned many from Gay and Katie Hendricks who were experts in personal relationships. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about them was the play that they brought (laughs) to the work. And I also loved how much they got bodies involved. Mm -hmm. And so then it was our task to see how could we take these brilliant Concepts and apply them in the workplace. And um, I'll give you another example of body. I was working with a team, they were advertising agency, and they were feeling really stuck creatively around uh, a campaign with their biggest client. And so I said to them, Okay, here's what I'd like you to do I want everybody to stand up. And I started to have them do this practice of moving their bodies, particularly all of their joints, in all these different new ways. And at first, a couple of people said, this seems ridiculous. And I said, I know I'm ridiculous. Just go with me. So they kept, <laughs> they, they kept moving their bodies. And I said, now, I want you to start to talk about this ad campaign while continuing to move in this way. And we did this for about mm, 10, 15 minutes. At the end of that process, they had a whole new strategy for the next ad campaign and were shocked at how easily it came through them. And I said, well, what I noticed about you all is the more scared you got about not being creative with a campaign, the more I saw you all freezing in your bodies. So I wanted Mm -hmm. to help support that shift of getting out of that frozen, contracted place. And once their bodies started to open up, so did their creative thinking.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense to me. Do you think that drama is, interpersonal relationship drama, do you think that that's related to frozenness in the body?
2: Totally. Can you remember like being a kid and watching your caregiver, or your parent or whomever else was there, walking into the room, you know, they put their hands on their hips, they're stiff, and you know exactly what's going to come out of their mouths. Right? There's, <laughs> right There's this contraction in the body that mm-hmm. shows up and then their worldview is formed in a certain way from that physical posturing. Mm -hmm. So helping people pay attention to the posturing and learn about it. Sometimes I'll just say, everybody stand up, move around the room and go sit in a new chair in a completely different posture and keep having Mm. the conversation. And just that simple move can help people start to have a more open and curious conversation.
0: That is such a, a neat place to, to start wrapping up our conversation because you told me at the beginning that you are someone who's really invested and interested in helping people get out of drama and get drama out of their lives. And you've just described all these wonderful physical ways to to expel drama. <laughs> and uh, thank you for that. Um, I, I always like to ask people if they've read anything recently that they really love. Um if you've read anything related to your field or or otherwise that you would really recommend to people who are curious about leadership.
2: Well, one of the books I'm currently reading right now that I'm very much enjoying is Atomic Habits. Ah. I'm someone who can have challenges with my habits, and so I'm finding this book to be the best articulation of how to shift patterns that I've seen so far, and I think his Ideas are very practical, and he's going more deeply into how much our identities and wanting to hold on to identities keeps us from creating habits that would really serve us. And that's speaking loudly to me right now. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a that's a good one. I've I've actually had some colleagues recommend that one too, Diana. I I, I wanted to ask you if there were one thing that you you wish that. Leaders, young and old, new and and seasoned, knew about conscious leadership. What is the thing that you really wish you could share with them?
2: I think what I want leaders to know is we're all a lot more reactive than we think, that we're working and living um, from threatened states more than we're aware. And that's mm-hmm. natural and normal. It's part of our wiring. But if we can start to wake up to that and love the scared ones in ourselves and one another, That cause us to get into these dramatic patterns. And then with that compassion, start to get open and curious about how we could do it in new and different ways. I think we could make significant positive change around us. Mm.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you.
2: Mm, you're welcome.
0: And, and thank you for this incredibly useful, generous book that you've put together. It's so helpful and I think extremely eye-opening for really anybody to read, whether or not they're leading a team. They're just, you know, leading themselves around the world. It's just, it's great. Thank you so much for your work and thanks for taking the time today.
2: Uh, thank you so much and thank you for supporting us and helping get the word out. I'm grateful.
1: Welcome to the bookend, where we, or you wanted to say this part this time? Welcome to the bookend.
0: Where we end with books.
1: <laughs> oh, you got it. You did it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, but first, we always like to talk a little bit about the interview. Um, I find really beautiful what Diana said at the end, that we are all a lot more reactive than we think we are. And that if we can start to love the scared parts in ourselves and one another, that we can make significant changes in our lives. Was your favorite part, Ben?
1: Um, I think radical responsibility. I love the word. I love the term. You know, we talk about radical candor, but I love the radical responsibility. I love the idea of the drama triangle. Yeah. So that's what I'm going to take. Yeah.
0: The drama triangle. Yeah. I hated, I. I mean, I liked learning about it, but I also completely heard the ways in which I play those parts and it was pretty uncomfortable, which is, <laughs> I guess that's kind of the point, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what books did you bring?
0: Um, I brought a few books. One of the things that you and I didn't just touch on right now, but I think is also important, is this idea of play. So the book that I brought is Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. It's by Stuart Brown Jr., and it is a science-backed look at play. Why it's essential to social skills, adaptability, creativity, intelligence. It helps us problem solve. It's a really great blend of neuroscience and psychology and inspiring human stories of, of how play can transform. And um, I think it's a really cool book. I actually, since I did this interview, I've been, I've been dancing a lot more just around Ooh. my house. Um, and I've found that it definitely, it helps improve my mood. It shakes some ideas up a little bit. There's definitely something to this, this whole play idea. And this book will help you understand why.
1: Cool. So my book is Radical Candor that I just mentioned.
0: Yeah, you love that book.
1: I love that book. I just think it's important. One of the topics that I really like in it are, is just the ruinous empathy. What is that? It's basically being afraid to to tell people something that might be perceived as not nice, oh. you know, like like critical feedback. Uh, and it it doesn't help
0: oh my goodness ruinous empathy
1: yeah doesn't help you doesn't help them
0: no that's totally true wow i feel like i need to read this book as i said in the last episode i find it challenging to deliver not nice news um but i understand also that that's me protecting myself i mean also the other person but me protecting myself too and it's not particularly helpful um okay should we do one more book sure So there's this other cool book. I have to admit that I have not read it yet. I just found it and I really want to read it. It's called The No Gossip Zone, A No-Nonsense Guide to a Healthy, High-Performing Work Environment. It's by Sam Chapman. And um, in Commitment 4 of the 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, it is Speak Candidly. And they talk about how... Gossip is really just, it's fruitless. It's not good for anybody involved. There are different ways you can approach gossip. Um, I've also heard things about gossip that it can be kind of um, relationship building. And I have always been a little bit skeptical of that. It's always this idea of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like you are bonding with the person you're talking to about the other person by saying not nice things. And I think it's a natural human inclination. I, I hear myself slip into it regularly, but I'm definitely more aware of it than I used to be. And I think that this book could maybe help me get all the way there. So again, it's the no gossip zone.
1: Yeah. You know what helps me with gossip is something I heard or read like a long time ago. That was when you gossip about somebody and say something critical about them, you will be perceived as having that trait that you are saying the other person has. So if you're like, oh, this person's so impatient. They never mm. wait. They just go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how this works, but whoever you're gossiping to will start to associate that with you.
0: Yeah. That makes sense though. That sounds like a thing the human brain would do.
1: Yeah. And, and also no one will trust you. That's the other mm-hmm. thing. It's like, well, if, cause someone thinks, oh, if they're telling me that, then what are they saying about me?
0: Yeah. Right. Exactly.
1: Those are like the things that to me really like make me really freaked out by the idea of talking about people behind their yeah. back.
0: Yeah, you're like one of the most careful people I know about this. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow, that's good. I try. I think I still gossip more than I'd like to, but I I've been like consciously trying.
0: Yeah, I can tell. Great job, Ben. <laughs> yeah,
1: good job, me. <laughs> let's uh, can we end the episode before I before something
0: horrible happens? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, before you get way too uncomfortable with a compliment. Okay, let's do it. Take us out.
1: Simplify was produced by me and Caitlin and Ines Blazius and Marta Medveshek and if you don't know we all work at blinkist and blinkist is a cool app we like it that's why we do what we do and blinkist takes the key insights from the world's best non-fiction books and best podcasts out there and we turn them into 10 minute ish pieces that you can listen to while going around your life so download it if you haven't yet and yeah, what's the voucher code for this episode, Caitlin?
0: The voucher code for this episode is Playful, P-L-A-Y-F-U-L, and you will get 14 days free of Blinkist if you go to Blinkist.com slash simplify and tap on Try Blinkist, upper right hand corner, just enter the voucher code Playful, and you will get 14 days free of Blinkist.
1: Awesome. And if you want to write us, we're at podcast at Blinkist or leave us a review in the Apple store. We read all of those. Caitlin reads them as voice messages to me. They're amazing. I'm on Twitter at BSTO. Caitlin's at Caitlin Schiller. Otherwise, we'll catch you in the next episode. Check it out.
0: Sounds good. Check it out.